Did you know that Google actually publishes its own guide to SEO? Yep, it publishes a 176 page long set of guidelines, which is used to improve its ranking algorithms. So you might be thinking, great, well, if Google publishes its own guide to SEO, what's to stop a savvy marketer reverse engineering these guidelines to make their own website rank better? Yeah, right. Let's do it today. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm the founder of Exposure Ninja. We're a digital marketing agency that helps our clients get more leads and sales through their websites. And one of the ways that we do this is through search engine optimization. Today on the podcast, we are going to be digging through Google's search quality rater guidelines and identifying in particular EEAT and some of the factors that we can be using to make sure that our websites are positioned well for the future of Google's algorithm updates. So first up, let's talk about this magical document that I'm talking about. Why does Google publish a guide like this? Well, Google maintains a global team of search quality raters. These people's job is to analyze proposed changes to Google search algorithms to see if they produce more helpful results. So they do this by being sent two comparable sets of Google results. Their job is to review the websites that are produced by in each set of results to see which set of results is most useful for the visitors. So let's say that Google has uh, an idea to update the ranking algorithm. What they'll do is they'll send the search quality raters a sample of the search results page using the current ranking algorithm and the sample of the search results page using the new algorithm. The search quality raters will then need to rate the quality of each of the websites. There's a few different criteria that they use. Rate the quality of each of the websites showing up in the search results so that Google can understand, okay, this set of results is much better, is more useful based on new algorithms. So this is going to be something that we test further. So the search quality rater guidelines book is their guide. This tells the raters what good looks like, the sort of websites and content that Google wants to reward. But it also tells them the sort of content Google wants to avoid, the sort of stuff that it decides is low quality. So it's found a way to describe low quality, be very specific about this. And obviously, any search results that reward sites which are considered low quality, that's not going to be good. So what we can do is align ourselves to the criteria decided, align ourselves to the criteria that denotes a high quality website, giving us a much better chance of ranking. So today we're going to talk through the different criteria and we're also going to talk through some of the examples. If you want to watch the video version of this where I actually show you the examples, then you can go onto our YouTube channel. Just go onto YouTube and search for Exposure Ninja uh, EEAT or Search Quality Rater Guidelines and you will find this video. So what are the criteria that Google is giving these search quality raters in order to decide whether a particular website is good to rank or bad to rank? Well, some of them are super basic. For example, make sure your MC or your main content is good quality, right? Duh. <laughs> Make sure the content on your page is good quality. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, also things like making sure your page isn't covered with distracting ads, making sure you're not just copying your content from other sources. Mate, I think the Google search generative experience needs to read these search quality rated guidelines. But one thing that keeps coming up through these search quality rated guidelines, which by the way, I'm just going to call SQRG for now, maybe SQR, 
It's the same as search query reports from Google Ads, but we're just going to call them SQR in this podcast so I don't have to keep saying the same thing. One thing that keeps coming up over and over again is this concept of EEAT. This is the model that Google uses to define trustworthiness. So you may have heard of EAT, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. Well, there's now another E. So we're going to talk a little bit about what these things are and how to sort of implement them on your website. So EEAT is what Google wants every high-ranking website search result to have. We're going to talk a little bit later about whether Google is currently rewarding EEAT because it's not as straightforward as it might seem. But for now, we want to make sure our websites are absolutely embodying each of these. So EEAT stands for experience, expertise, authoritativeness, and trust. And they even have a lovely Venn diagram to show how it works. I'm doing my David Brent hands with the Venn diagram. So the Venn diagram in the SQR guidelines is basically showing that expertise, authority, and experience, all of these combine. And in the middle, you have this central concept called trust, like when all the Power Rangers clip together and make a super baddie. Is that I might be mixing shows there. You can tell I never watched any of this stuff. All right, let's start off with experience then. What is this experience thing that Google wants to reward in the search results? And how do we make sure that we are using it to get that benefit? Well, Google added experience to its EAT acronym in December 2022. So in the latest version of the SQR guidelines, that's when Google first mentioned adding experience. What does it mean and how do we use it to rank better? Well, experience means having first-hand experience of the topic that you are writing about. Okay, pretty straightforward. So if I tell you, for example, this pen that I'm holding, if I tell you that this pen is a really great pen, it's really nice to write with, it's really well balanced, um, really smooth and lasts for ages and it just feels really nice in the hand. Well, you might believe me because I have direct experience of that pen. But if I tell you how amazing it is to give birth, you would probably be skeptical and rightly so because I have absolutely no experience of giving birth. So the examples in the SQR guidelines talk about things like product reviews, okay? How a product review where the reviewer has direct experience of the thing that they're reviewing is going to be more credible, more trustworthy than a product review written by somebody who has never used the thing. And they give uh, some particular examples talking about uh, people reviewing restaurants, for example, having never been there. Well, this would be the sort of content, the sort of website that Google would like to consider low quality or low trustworthiness at least because it doesn't have that direct experience of the thing it's talking about. On the other hand, though, if we want to think about some, uh, you know, some things that denote high authority or high, um, in this case, high experience, Google gives some examples um, talking about content that has been produced with original photos or video footage, or that rely on the unique personal perspective of the creator. And these are things that denote a, a high quality page. So, okay, what does this mean? Well, it means that if you're writing about something for your business, how can you improve the perceived expertise? So yeah, how can you improve the, uh, the perceived experience that you have about this topic? Well, you could include some images from actually inside your business, or you could include personal stories or examples or case studies to back up your points. Now, this is good practice to do anyway, because it's a great way to build credibility 
with your audience. For example, if we search for something like best running shoes for overpronation, right? Quite specific search and typically search for by someone who knows what they're talking about. Now, the top organic search result is for runnersworld.com. And initially, when you go on this page, it looks like just another sort of affiliate site. There's a list of shoes here. Um, and they're all just, there's hardly any information about each one right at the top of the page. And then there's just, uh, you know, the classic button to go and buy it. And you know that that's going to be an affiliate button. So on the surface of it, when I first viewed this page, I was like, all right, well, this doesn't embody experience at all. What are they talking about? But actually, when you look further down the page, what they've done here is they've made a really compelling review page by giving testers these shoes and writing about the unique experience of the testers. So this first pair of shoes that they're reviewing uh, is the Brooks Levitate GTS5. That doesn't matter at all. The copy says, our testers were impressed with the comfort and spring during interval and tempo runs, but also assured by the guide rail support, which aids feet, knees, and hips. One tester who suffered from ankle-related hip injuries praised the excellent arch support, the ankle support provided by the circular blah, 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 blah. So what they've done here is they've produced a much better and more compelling review on this product by adding in the individual experience of people, even if that experience might not be representative. For example, you might not have uh, a running related hip injury, but the fact that they've included the experience of someone who has gives this testimonial, gives this review more weight. So I think this is really good because not only is it uh, sort of staying on the right side of EEAT and doing exactly the sort of things that Google wants to reward in search results. But actually, as a potential customer, I would read this and think not only does this publication have credibility, but the recommendations that they're making also have more credibility because they've put in more work than the average website, which just says, you know, this is a highly rated shoe and you can get it for £150 on Amazon. Having said all of this, the second ranking result for this search, uh, which was best running shoes for overpronation, is runtogether.co.uk. And actually, there's absolutely no experience demonstrated in these search results at all. This is exactly the sort of generic content that you would expect. And it's talking about the technology. It's, it, you know, it's all features copy. There's no benefits copy here. There's no direct experience whatsoever. So it's not a bad page, but it's really not that top tier. So I'll be honest, it can be quite difficult to find searches that do seem to be rewarding direct experience. You'll find so many searches on Google which don't reward experience. So I think the tendency might be to say, all right, well, this first E in EAT, can we just safely ignore it? Can we pretend that this experience thing doesn't exist given that Google doesn't currently seem to be rewarding it? Well, I don't think we can. Remember, Google's search quality raters are using this guide to rate search results to help Google fine tune its algorithm, to help it decide which uh, tweaks and improvements to make. Experience is a relatively new addition to the guide. So at the time of filming this, in very late June uh, 2023, experience has only been part of this guide since uh, December 2022. So only about six months. So it's very possible that because Google hasn't run a huge number of search tests using these new guidelines yet, and I think it runs about 380,000 different tests per year, but because Google hasn't run, you know, years and years of tests where it's optimizing for experience, it's very possible that the search results aren't yet reflecting where Google wants to go with experience. 
But that doesn't mean that the search results won't directly reward experience in the future. And I think as we start talking about the other elements in EAT, you'll see that they are much more uh, prominently rewarded. So I think we can expect to see direct experience become more and more important over time and particularly as a sort of reaction against potentially having loads of artificial intelligence generated content, which clearly has no direct experience at all, right? This could be an antidote to that and help Google maintain good quality search results when anybody can write any old rubbish about your whatever running shoes for overpronation. So we want to make sure we're going to, you know, that famous saying, go to where the puck is headed. Well, this, the search quality rated guidelines are where Google wants the puck to be heading. So if we're good marketers, we need to be heading over there. We need to be making sure that we're optimizing and adding experience into our content so that we are ready for that time. Okay, let's talk about the second E in EEAT, expertise. If we do a search like how to pass a job interview, for example, all of the sites ranking have expertise in this area. So I'm looking, I'm doing this search from the UK without a VPN, so I'm looking at the UK results. I've got Indeed, this is a job site, so high experience in job interviews. The next site is the University of North Georgia, which is kind of interesting search result for the UK. Uh, but tips for a successful interview, this is the career service in the University of North Georgia. So again, something that has a lot of expertise in this area. The next site is WikiHow. Now, WikiHow might not sound like a very uh, high level of expertise for a job interview, but if you click on the link, you'll see that actually the content, the article is written by a career coach. So this is content that's produced by someone with a high level of expertise. And it goes on and on and on. And this is now incredibly common, is that when you're searching for a particular topic, you not only see individual pages that are demonstrating expertise, but you are seeing websites that are considered to be high expertise for that topic. And this is one of those factors in EAT, which I think it's easy to forget that this wasn't always the case on Google. On Google, you know, even a few years ago, you could rank a page for almost anything, regardless of whether or not you had genuine expertise on that topic. But it's become harder and harder to do that now. And it's this constant feedback loop of Google testing algorithm improvements, search quality raters giving feedback on them that has embedded these principles into Google's ranking algorithms. So what are the most common demonstrations of expertise and how do we make sure Google is recognizing the expertise that we have about our businesses and the topics that we talk about so that we can get ranking? Well, one of the things that can be useful to do is look at some of the searches that have the highest threshold for expertise. So for example, medical or anything your money or your life, YMYL. Verywellmind.com is one site that has seen consistent ranking improvements in the medical space over time. And it takes a really interesting approach to expertise by not only having qualified writers uh, for each of its articles, but also having medical reviewers and detailing who is medically reviewing each site. So as well as the author at the top, and you can hover over their name to see their background and their expertise, there's then a little official looking tick thing that says medically reviewed. And then you've got the person's name who's reviewed it and their medical qualifications. 
So this is a great way of demonstrating expertise on a particular topic, right? Because you've got two experts that are sort of working together on this thing. Another way to, um, to demonstrate expertise is simply just linking out to the sources of any statements that you make. This is generally something that high expertise sites do that are well balanced and well researched that low quality sites don't do. So for example, I've just done a search for is social media addictive? The top ranking site is jeffersonhealth.org and they've got an article on it and this is really well researched. It's citing recent studies, it's linking to them, it's citing uh, behavioral experts and it's linking to them. Plenty of information, everything is you know cited and, and properly linked so that you can go through and fact check if you want. Now this is an obvious way to demonstrate expertise. If we contrast this with one of the sites that Google actually references in its uh, search quality rater guidelines as a bad example, and the, the site is symptomsofdehydration.com. Well, this site has almost no um, credibility or, or demonstration of expertise at all. The links seem to be only internal links. They're not pointing out to sources. There is no information about who has written this. Um, so therefore, it's very difficult to trust this information. It seems to be fairly self-serving. Now, we don't know anything about this site. We can't see there's no about page, which tells us where this is coming from. There's no author bio, nothing like that. So for a health topic like dehydration, which has potentially fatal consequences of getting the content wrong, this is not the sort of site that Google wants to reward. Now, of course, that's dehydration. Just because you're not selling something in health doesn't mean that these same principles don't apply to you. So you want to do everything that you can to demonstrate legitimate expertise and, you know, whether that's having uh, the qualifications of the people who are writing content on your website or reviewing the content on your website or as simple as linking out to other high authority sources it's a great way to demonstrate that sort of credibility and it's actually quite difficult to find search results that don't contain expertise these days and that's i think a really important lesson for all of us about these eeat principles we might think yeah fine you know it's not technically an algorithm it's just where google wants to go but actually, since they bought out these guidelines, the search results have improved immeasurably in these areas. So when it comes to experience, for example, which is a new uh, sort of a new factor in this model, we need to take this seriously. Okay, let's talk about authoritativeness. Now, this one is misunderstood. My take, my understanding from the search quality rater guidelines is not that this is necessarily about authority in the, you know, um, I'm an authority because lots of websites link to me. It's actually about being the go-to source on a topic. And this uh, seems to work in quite a specific way if we take the search quality rater guidelines quite literally. For example, if somebody searches Exposure Ninja Marketing Review, who is the go-to source on that topic? Well, it's Exposure Ninja, right? If someone searches for Exposure Ninja Marketing Review because they want an incredible 15-minute video analysis of their website's current digital marketing and they want to understand what the things that they should be focusing on over the next six to 12 months to significantly increase the volume of traffic and conversions that they're getting from their website. Of course, when they search for that, they would need to go to exposureninja.com forward slash review, because that is the ultimate source. That is the number one source of authoritativeness on that topic. Did he spot the review pitch? <laughs> By the way, you should go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review. So because that website, that page should be the go-to resource, that's the one that should rank. It'd be a bit weird, wouldn't it, if you searched for a brand and the top ranking result actually didn't belong to the brand. 
that would be a bit weird. And that would also be counter to this idea of authoritativeness. If you do a search for uh, moon landing 1969, right? What, what's the top result? It's NASA. And it would be, right? Because it was them who did it. Or did they? Was it the lizards? I'm not sure. But NASA is the go-to source for moon landing 1969. So this concept seems to be quite, I don't think it's necessarily something that we would um, seek to, what's the word, I, uh, manipulate? What's the, the PC version of manipulate? Th this factor doesn't seem to be something that we as search marketers would be manipulating as we may manipulate or accentuate expertise and experience. But it is something that sort of proves relevance, I guess. Okay, let's talk about the final aspect in this EEAT triad with a circle in the middle, and that is trust. The word trust appears 158 times in the search quality rater guidelines. And before you ask, I think it's like 170 odd pages long. So trust is super important. And in fact, the search quality rater guidelines say that trust is the most important part of EEAT. Now, trust's definition is much broader than the others. Okay. Whereas the others are, you know, they're quite specific uh, and they're quite narrow and they have a tight definition. Trust is much broader. It says uh, there are many aspects of trust, some of which, some of which it should be, are not captured by experience, expertise, and authoritativeness. Please consider other aspects in your overall trust assessment, such as customer service information for online stores or peer reviewed publications for academic authors. If a page is untrustworthy for any reason, it has low EEAT. So I'm seeing this as trust is the ultimate in this model. If it has low trustworthiness for any reason, it has low EAT. Doesn't matter. There's an example where it says, you know, if you go on a website and it's trying to scam you, well, it doesn't matter if the scammer is really experienced, has a high level of expertise in scamming people and is a super high authority on scams because you don't trust that it's still a bad result, right? So this concept of trust is, you know, EEA -E -E all combined to produce trust, but trust can also be broken from other areas too. So what actually is a trustworthy page, aside from everything that we've already discussed across experience, expertise, and authoritativeness? Well, aside from the obvious stuff, like obviously trustworthy sites are designed to manipulate, deceive, spam, or scam, there are some less obvious considerations. For example, um, pages that have inadequate information about the website or content creator, particularly if those pages require a high level of trust. So this could be, and, and in fact, there's some examples where there is a, uh, an e-commerce store. It's an e-commerce page selling uh, Nike Jordan trainers, uh, but there's no information about who's running the store. There's no contact info, and it all feels a little bit dodgy. But it doesn't feel massively dodgy, right? It's not an over scam. All that's happened is they just haven't given enough uh, trust signals. They haven't given, you know, the things like the contact information or the review styles. None of that stuff exists, which gives the page an overall feeling of untrustworthiness. Another one that's given as an example is a horrible looking website for a local fish and chip shop. Uh, I think must be in the US somewhere. And this website, a lot of the screenshots in the search quality rater guidelines are from a long time ago. So this one's from 2014, which is why the site looks so horrible. Um, but the, uh, it's, it's from their About Us page. And the About Us page, there's this weird sort of scroll thing, and it's all written on this odd scroll. And it talks about what people are going to experience when they come into the store. It talks about 
Doug and Sally who uh, who set up the store and their life history and all of this and the history of the store and all of this stuff. And you might look at this and think, well, this is, you know, this is a bit weird as a trust signal. But Google cites this as a good example of a high quality site because it has plenty of info about the business and what customers can expect, which is kind of interesting. Now, most of us would think of things like, uh, you know, review signals and testimonials and case studies. And these are great ways of building trust. But what Google's also saying here is that just a bit of old fashioned information about the background of the business can also be a great way to build trust. Now, what do we take from all of this? Well, we talk about trust signals a lot at Exposure Ninja, and we talked about them loads in the podcast and in our videos. Things like making sure your site has a prominent phone number, for example, even if people don't use it, just knowing that there is a phone number there and that they can talk to you. Uh, showing reviews and ratings and developing methods to collect more reviews and ratings via Google TrustPilotReviews.com or Reviews.io or whatever, and doing that on autopilot so you're consistently picking up reviews. All of these are good ways to build trust. So my advice isn't to think of trust as purely an SEO thing or an EEAT thing. I actually think trust is more important as a conversion tool. And if you're doing everything that we talk about to improve your conversion rate through building trust, you're going to way exceed the benchmarks and the basic requirements for EEAT. For example, uh, let me just get, talk you through a couple of examples. So let's say that you're searching for conveyancing quotes. So conveyancing is like when, you, when you're moving house, it's the legal part of that. I think, I think it's definitely in the UK, it's called conveyancing. I think it, uh, uh, over, over the states and in different countries, I think it might be called something else. But it's, it's basically the, the legal bit when you move house. So very competitive. Um, this is something that people don't have much brand loyalty to. So there's a lot of, you know, trying to get the click from PPC and, and, you know, convert someone immediately. So very, very competitive space. Now the site that is ranking top um, in PPC, so obviously has good click through rate and, you know, all the, all the metrics are good, working well, I think does a great job of demonstrating trust. It has review stars everywhere. It has testimonials everywhere. There's a CTA box that talks about exactly what's going to happen. Um, there's no questions. There's a phone number up at the top if you need it. There's people's faces. There's testimonials from people who've had this thing before. Shows you how it all works, what the breakdown is, all this type of stuff. Really, really great page. And I think this exemplifies what Google is talking about with trust. Now, it does look a little bit generic and it does look a little bit out of date. I have to be honest. There are some more modern, there are some more modern examples in this space. But on the whole, it does a really good job. And you can go and have a look at the video if you want to see the example of this. So chances are that if you're focused on conversion rate optimization, you'll already have a lot of these trust things in place. And that's kind of the message across EAT, really. Most of it is just good marketing. So share your firsthand experience because that's a good way to convince visitors that you know what you're talking about, right? A lot of people will do this themselves anyway as part of their, you know, as part of their ordinary marketing work because it seems like a good thing to do. And it is. Share your expertise and demonstrate it on your website. If you've got credentials, share your credentials, right? Obviously. And your authoritativeness, this comes from being established in your area. And then trust comes from building a brand, being seen where people are searching. Maybe that's through digital PR and from seeking to handle any objections or fears that visitors might have about taking the next steps with you. Now, before we go, I just want to talk about this idea that EEAT is a ranking factor. EEAT is not a ranking factor. We have to remember that EEAT is in the guidelines that Google is providing to the search quality raters. 
Google is trying, this is the direction that Google wants to go, right? And in fact, we have official word from Google that that is the case. In 2018, uh, Ben Gomez uh, spoke to CNBC, Ben Gomez from Google and said, you can view the rate of guidelines as where we want the search algorithm to go. They don't tell you how the algorithm is ranking results, but they fundamentally show what the algorithm should do. Now, that's not to say that having great EAT today is going to guarantee that your website or your content is going to rank. Just as not having it isn't a guarantee your content won't rank, there are plenty of examples where websites rank against some of the principles in Google's SQR guidelines and against EEAT. I'm not disputing that at all. Some people, particularly some of those in the black hat community, think that EEAT is a complete you know, diversion. It's just a, you know, it's fake news from Google to try and distract all the marketers to go and you know, make their websites legit. Whereas what we should instead be doing is blasting our sites for PBNs, spamming them to oblivion because any link is a good link, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think that's correct, but it's not also not correct that if you just follow EEAT to the letter, you're going to win, Google's going to shower you with glory. But what I think we're doing here is we're building a long-term, future-proof, viable, sustainable content strategy around these principles, knowing that that's where things are going to go. Just to give you an example of a site result which kind of directly contravenes one of the things that Google says, um, there's a uh, if you search for something like best WordPress themes, there's a um, the, the page that's ranking and it's elegantthemes.com, 10 best WordPress themes in 2023 compared and ranked. Now, unbelievably, Elegant Themes, they own a theme called Divi. And lo and behold, guess what their top WordPress theme of the year is? It's Divi. Shock horror. A little bit of conflict of interest there. Now, the second result and all the other results, they are linking to, not from the goodness of their heart, but because they have an affiliate relationship with. So you could say that this page that's ranking top of Google for this highly competitive and highly profitable search is a massive conflict of interest fest. And it is. If you go on page 27 of the Google Search Quality Rater Guidelines, um, it says, the website or content creator may not be a trustworthy source if there is a clear conflict of interest. For example, product reviews by people who own the product and share their experiences can be a very valuable and trustworthy. However, reviews, in quotation marks, by the product manufacturer, our product is great or reviews from an influencer who is paid to promote the product are not as trustworthy due to the conflict of interest. So here we have a page which is ranking in direct contravention of Google search quality rated guidelines. And to an extent, this is somewhat inevitable because these search quality rated guidelines are not ranking factors. They are just an explanation of where Google wants to go with this. So make sure your site is set up with EEAT. Make sure you're thinking about these principles when you're designing or building or writing, but following them isn't alone going to get you ranking. I hope you found this episode useful. If you've got any questions at all, please feel free to drop me an email, tim at ninja.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Go and check out the video versions on the Exposure Ninja YouTube channel, and I will see you next week.